0: Welcome, my name is Yvonne Benninger Rothschild. I'm the executive director of the EICC New York. This podcast is brought to you by the European American Chamber of Commerce, a platform where Europeans and Americans connect to do business. To produce this series, we have asked our members from across Europe and the United States to discuss current events and how they may affect transatlantic business activities. In addition to this recording, I invite you to listen to all of our podcasts You can find them on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. I hope you will enjoy the insights our members together with my team have put together. And I encourage you to subscribe to the EACC podcast series on your favorite podcast server and to rate and share them with your friends and colleagues.
1: Hello, my name is Paulo Kratzini-Melendez. I manage member engagement at the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York. And I'm also your host for this Brexit Musing series. So in this episode, we will hear from Yildiz Domens, Martin Schoenebele, and Daniel Klein-Weldemann. Yildiz is a tax advisor at Lowens & Luf, who specializes in Dutch corporate tax on issues in international structuring and restructuring private equity and M&A transactions. Martijn is a partner also at Lowens & Luf, and specializes in advising financial institutions, including banks, investment firms, fund managers, and more. Lastly, alongside Yildis and Matein, we have Daniel, who is the head of the Netherlands Foreign Investment Agency, which is an operational unit within the Dutch government that helps and advises foreign companies on their international activities in the Netherlands. So in this Brexit musings, we will focus on the challenges, but also the opportunities that Brexit brings to the table for fintech parties. Our speakers will also highlight the changes due to Brexit, which may also benefit or impact U.S. firms. We are very happy to have you all here with us today. And with that, I pass it on to you, Yildiz.
2: Thank you, Paolo, for the introduction. So in today's podcast, we are going to discuss the fintech regulatory landscape in the context of the nearing Brexit. Especially for fintech companies, Brexit triggers regulatory challenges and forces them to rethink their European strategy. Martijn, thank you for joining this podcast. Since these are Brexit musings, what is the exact impact of Brexit for fintech companies? Could you elaborate on that, please?
3: Yes, although it's not an easy question to answer, uh, because to a certain extent, that still needs to be seen. But if you look at Brexit and fintech in itself, I think one thing we have to establish, uh, that as it currently looks like, without, let's say, any further arrangement being made after the transpiring of the withdrawal agreement. Fintech companies having currently a European passport will lose their passport upon the Brexit becoming actually effective. That in itself obviously has a huge impact, both for UK companies providing services or rendering their products to EU-based clients, but also vice versa. If you're based on European mainland and if you would like to provide services to your British clients, you need to rethink how you would like to do that and whether or not you need to obtain a new authorization or need to seek for a certain exemption. So that in itself has a huge impact for fintech businesses where typically the margins are thin.
2: Thank you, Martijn. Moreover, could you, as a regulatory expert in today's podcast, give a general overview of the fintech regulatory landscape in Europe?
3: Happy to, happy to. Before sending out the fintech regulatory landscape, it's probably good to realize that the European legal framework is quite different from the U.S. system. The landscape as we currently know it is comprised out of European legislation on the one hand and national legislation on the other hand. The main EU legal acts are regulations and directives. Regulations are legal acts that apply automatically and uniformly to all EU member states as soon as they enter into the force without the need to be transposed into national law. They're binding in their entirety on all EU member states. Directives, however, require EU countries to achieve a certain result, uh, but leave them free, typically, how to do so. And in order to do so, EU countries must implement these directives into national law in order to achieve these objectives. If we look at the FinTech legal framework, there is no specific regulation or directive which regulates FinTech businesses. When we look at the European regulatory landscape, the european commission basically has taken a very much sectoral approach consequently if you're in the financial sector uh, firms are authorized or they are supervised based on their activities services or products uh, regardless whether they use traditional or more innovative means to deliver those services or products over time if you uh, getting to your question different regulations and directives have been introduced relating to the different types of financial services such as investment services, uh, trading, banks, payments, asset management. And a huge benefit of the system as we currently know it is that the majority of these regulations or directives provide for an authorization system that grants market access to the entire European Union. And I think the recently announced European digital finance strategy emphasizes the importance the European Commission attaches to FinTech package, which was announced end of September, includes a digital finance strategy, but it also includes some really interesting proposals on crypto assets and DLT-based trading platforms and settlement systems. If you look at that package as recently introduced, it aims to create a competitive financial sector that gives consumer access to innovative financial products on one hand, and at the same time ensures consumer protection and financial stability. So therefore, I really think that the current European digital finance strategy is a good addition to the existing legal framework.
2: Thank you, Martijn. Daniel, welcome. You are head of the Netherlands Foreign Investment Agency in New York. Uh, your organization, as part of the Dutch government, assists US-based companies with our international footprint in Europe. And given your current role and expertise, how are your clients perceiving the European digital finance strategy?
4: Yeah, thank you, Yildiz, and I totally agree that the European uh, digital finance strategy is is definitely a very welcome addition to the existing legal frameworks. In the conversations we have with the companies, we discuss these matters often and at length, and it's our experience that these companies have to put a lot of effort in navigating the regulatory uh, differences. Our role is therefore also to guide these companies uh, through this process and introduce them to the regulatory landscape in the Netherlands in particular, but also connect them to our pro-business and approachable regulators.
2: It sounds to me as if the European digital finance agenda is still very much a work in progress. Martijn, could you perhaps indicate some fintech activities that are currently still regulated at a national level?
3: It's true. Uh, that if you if you look at the regulatory framework. That the European legislators made huge progress in regulating the different services and products, but indeed, especially for fintech businesses where where scalability is of most importance, I think we have to establish that different national legal frameworks hinder growth, especially because if you look at EU fintech firms, that they can typically provide services within their own country or only to a limited number of EU jurisdictions, because if you operate in different member states, it triggers disproportionate compliance costs for operators active in in several countries. If you currently look at the model, I think it's mainly true for crowdfunding platforms, uh, including credit intermediation, but also for crypto asset issuers and, and crypto asset service providers. Luckily, this has been recognized and has now resulted in new proposals for regulations in these areas. By the way, the fact that these are now regulated by means of regulations is an interesting development in itself, I believe. And that is something we have seen more and more because it results in to achieve more harmonization within Europe. However, despite this need to have more harmonization within Europe, we also see that there is some arbitrage because European regulators take different approaches to same requirements. Right? For example, on regulatory substance or being control of your business operations.
4: Yeah, that's definitely something we get back as well. You know, there are still differences and it would be great when the agenda brings some harmonization. But we also see and hear back from the companies that they're not sitting on their hands waiting for the EU to finalize and implement this. Instead, they clearly indicate that they're already looking to set up shop in a location where they can be assured to find a robust and sustainable regulatory and business environment. I feel that the Netherlands is a preferred location in the sense being one of the leading reputable uh, jurisdictions in Europe, but also by focusing more on just the time it takes to obtain the necessary licensees in order to passport into the European market, companies see a value in a proactive and transparent or transparent regulatory environment, which they know it is one of the leading voices in these debates on the European level. So actually limiting uh, regulatory surprises, if you will.
2: Yeah, great to hear that the European digital finance agenda adds to more clarity and harmonization. But at the same time, I also picked up that despite having the same legislation, there are still differences between European jurisdictions. Could you perhaps uh, elaborate on how fintech companies navigate these differences when looking for a jurisdiction to set up their headquarters? Yeah, who would like to start, Daniel?
4: Well, coming back to the point I made earlier, actually, I cannot emphasize enough that uh, more and more it is the full picture that, that matters to these companies. Stepping aside from the regulatory analysis and why it matters to organize yourself in a mature jurisdiction, we do indeed need to talk about the total value proposition with our clients. And one of the main topics is actually talent, which, which is key nowadays. It's hard to come by. It's also crucial for any business to be able to tap into a strong local talent pool as well as be able to easily source talent from abroad. I can really echo that because
3: ultimately, we also see our clients that they basically look at the full picture. Obviously, they, they weighed out the different disparities. They look at the regulatory environment. But I think what is also a good indicator, and we can talk about it later on as well, is that we see that companies also largely look where competitors have gone. Because this fact in itself provides for for useful intelligence how others have have weighed the different disparities.
2: Thanks both. When we talk about the regulatory environment, it goes without saying that this is shaped by the interaction between regulators and market parties. Uh, Martijn, could you perhaps indicate how Dutch regulators operate?
3: Sure. Maybe before diving into that, it's probably good to realize that in the Netherlands we have a so-called Twin Peaks model with, on the one hand, the Dutch Central Bank as the main prudential supervisor and the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets supervising mainly conduct of business. So dependent on the factor you're in, either one of them is the first point of contact for market access, etc. Uh, having been in practice uh, for more than 50 years and having dealt with different European regulators over time, I can honestly say that I'm quite pleased with the Dutch regulators. I consider them very professional, uh, but also open and approachable. And I think one fact which really speaks for them is The fact that they are both willing to communicate in English, Uh, obviously, that also helps our clients, uh, which are mainly uh, non-Dutch speaking.
4: Yeah, well, I really have nothing to add here. Obviously, Martijn is right. The mindset and the approach of our regulators is is definitely something we're really proud of. I can confirm that this is also something we are back in our meetings uh, with clients frequently as well. It's also probably not a surprise that that many of these conversations were with companies that that were and currently are trying to maintain their capacity uh, to serve the European market, especially considering the upcoming Brexit. As probably is known, to maintain access to the European market, these companies need to obtain licenses with one of the regulators on mainland Europe enabling them to passport into the European market. So we are assisting companies and we also assisted companies that right before Brexit was formalized just obtained their UK license. Well, this is a lengthy process and they weren't really looking forward to similar experience in the Netherlands, to say the least. So the good thing here is actually that their UK application for a large part could serve as the basis for the applications in the Netherlands, which significantly expedites the process. Yeah. And perhaps I may add to that, that we also
3: get back that the the approach of the AFM, Uh, the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets, shows uh, quite some resemblance with the way the UK FCA uh, approaches things. So yeah, that's something which uh, market parties appreciate, and at least they, they still feel a bit at home.
2: Thanks. That's very interesting to hear. When reviewing the European digital finance strategy, which we discussed earlier in this podcast, I noted that the European Commission is now introducing a sandbox to allow for the testing of blockchain-based trading platforms. Back in 2016, the Dutch regulators initiated their innovation sandbox. Could you please share some background on that?
3: Of course. The innovation hub and regulatory sandbox, as it is dubbed in in the Netherlands, uh, has indeed already been around for quite some time maybe it's good to illustrate that a sandbox is typically a facility that, that brings together regulators, companies, and, and tech experts to to test innovative solutions and identify obstacles in deploying them. And the Innovation Hub, as we know it in the Netherlands, is a joint initiative of the two regulators, the Dutch Central Bank and the, the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets. And what they do is that they offer a tailored approach to innovative products and services or bus- business models. Interestingly enough, not only for fintech businesses, but also beyond. And I I think it's really of interest, especially in those cases where the legislation, or at least the purpose of the legislation can be met, but certain statutory requirements cannot reasonably be met. In those cases, the sandbox allows for facilities to achieve market access in a different fashion. And that can be done, for example, by a partial authorization or, or getting market access subject to certain conditions. At the same time, and I think that's a good thing, the Dutch regulators are mindful that they should also keep an eye for to have a level playing field and, and that competition should not be disturbed. And this also very much resonates with one of the principles as outlined in the um, European Digital Finance Strategy by the European Commission, that same activities, same risk and same rules
4: should apply. So uh, I think that's
3: uh, quite a good thing.
4: Definitely. And Well, I can only echo what I hear back, obviously, from uh, from the clients we, uh, we we talk with, but Uh, to me the innovation hub and the regulatory sandbox actually underscore what we've touched on before an open business mindset that is ingrained in in our society on every level Uh, but while maintaining the robustness of a regulatory landscape these companies are uh, investing in so i feel that these initiatives by our financial regulators fit perfectly in this long tradition of transparency It is also this mindset pro-business country full of talent at the heart of Europe that is so attractive to many U.S. companies and the reason why they set up their European hub in the Netherlands.
2: Thanks, Daniel. To conclude this podcast, I would be grateful if you could shed some light on the niche fields within fintech the Netherlands is particularly strong in. Martijn, could you start?
3: Sure. I really have the impression that the Dutch fintech ecosystem is quite broadly developed. And this is not only my view, it's also being supported by, by branch organizations uh, such as Holland Fintech, which provide for very colorful landscapes. I do, however, believe that the Netherlands has set itself apart from other member states, especially in the field of payment services, but also asset management. And to illustrate that, the public register kept by the, by the Dutch Central Bank uh, nowadays already shows 59 licensed payment service providers compared to 35 in early 2019. But also in the area of investment services and trading platforms, we have seen that the Netherlands has been able to build quite a good track record. Parties such as Bloomberg, TradeWeb and Turquoise having moved to the Netherlands. So I think that that itself speaks for itself.
4: Well, yeah, yeah. two specific themes uh, within uh, the fintech arena that uh, we see uh, coming by frequently and I want to highlight here are insurance. So insurtech and the fintech uh, in view of payment systems or payments in general. And one of our recent success stories involved the Intratech powerhouse Lemonade. And what we hear back from them in feedback is that the reason to to set up shop in the Netherlands, in, in Amsterdam, uh, in this particular case, because of its collaborative and, and seasoned regulatory environment. Another one in the, in the payment sphere is Platt, who will provide for the plumbing for payment fintechs. Also, I wanted to point out that We have a very rapidly grown fintech community of more than 600 fintech companies with several very very successful ones such as Mali and Agen, which have been around for more than 15 years already.
2: Thanks for these uh, great examples. Daniel Martijn, I would like to thank you both for your insights into the fintech businesses. In light of Brexit, we've touched upon the European digital finance strategy, how fintech companies navigate the differences between European jurisdictions, And we learned about the niche fields within fintech. The Netherlands is particularly strong in. Yeah, and I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. And in case of any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to either Martijn or Danielle. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Yildiz. Thank you, Yildiz. And I'd just like to echo that quickly. I would like to thank our speakers once again. And I would also like to thank our audience. We hope that you enjoyed listening to our program and stay tuned for our next podcast where we muse about Brexit. Take care.
0: Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the European-American Chamber of Commerce, New York. Please remember to subscribe and rate this episode and be sure to check out the complete list of recordings on our website at eaccny.com, podcasts. If you have any thoughts or comments about this series, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at membership at eaccny.com to learn more about our work, how to get involved and how to join our transatlantic network.